Good morning, Cross Point. Hope you guys are doing well. Kids, you can be released. And as they're making their way out, I just want to start by saying thank you to, to so many who last week was such a joyous celebration of celebrating the Lord's resurrection together. And there were those that, that you might have seen serving in, in certain ways, but there were countless others who went above and beyond as we celebrated last week. And I just wanted to say thank you uh, to those that, that were seen and even unseen. I found out even during the week, there were those who were like, oh, kids may not have uh, an Easter basket for the egg hunt. So they just brought extras. And, and there was just this general sense of how to love one another. And I just wanted to say thank you. It is such a joy to see the church being the church and loving one another and singing and celebrating together our risen Lord and Savior. And so thank you so, so much for, for everything and to make that such a joyous celebration. Now today, we're going to be picking back up in our series through 1 John. So for the last two weeks, we kind of took a break. We were looking at Holy Week, that last week leading up to the crucifixion, death, resurrection of Christ, but now we're jumping back into 1 John. And so if you're just joining us, I kind of want to just give you a quick snapshot as to the background. That 1 John, the book that we're walking through, is, was written by the last living disciple, John. He's probably about close to his 90s when he wrote this. And he's writing to a church of, of young believers in modern-day Turkey, in the city of Ephesus. And it's a church that's kind of experiencing some relational hurts. They're hurting because there's people who once sat next to them singing and celebrating the risen Savior who have now left the church and walked away from the faith. And it's left them feeling hurt wounded, but also questioning what's true, what's not true. And so John, like a grandfather, is writing to this church. You're going to hear him use, even today, these terms, beloved, little children. He's not speaking down to them. He's speaking like this older gentleman to his grandchildren. And so you're going to see him then point to the God who is light and the God who is love, these two themes playing out throughout 1 John, and that as you look to the God who is light, then you too will walk in the light as you walk with him. And as you see the God who is love and receive his love, then so you too will love one another. This is the general theme. But today, what the focus is, is for this church who has experienced people walking away from the faith, how do you determine what's true and what's false? How do you know that what we celebrated last week is true? How do you know it's, it's not just lies? How do you distinguish between one belief and another? Like, do you typically tend to be a more skeptical person or a more believable person? Like, you, you, we all want to kind of assume that people would tell us the truth, but sometimes as we get older, we get burnt by the lies, by the half-truths, by the advertising that's just trying to sell us a product even though it has no substance. And we begin to become more skeptical, but some of us just want to believe. Sometimes we have friends, we have family that we trust them, and so we say, okay, if they told us this, it must be true. Some have a high view of authority, others have a very low view of authority. Some say, well, if this person's in authority and they say this, then obviously it's true. Some people nowadays, if someone's in authority and they say something, well, then they're like, well, it must be untrue because they're in authority. Do we look at degrees? 
What do you look at to determine what is true? How do you discern what is true about God in a world of lies? That's the question before us this morning that John is going to be addressing. So if you will, stand with me as we read from 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. If you have the scripture journal, it's on page 16. And so let me pray, and then we will read together. Lord, again, as we gather together as a church family, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would give us ears to hear, eyes to see the beauty of your truth. Lord, help us beyond our own human understanding that as we approach your word that we want to hear from you, we want to see you, not just an academic knowledge, Lord, but a heart transformation that is only possible by the work of your spirit in our lives. And so, Lord, we surrender ourselves before you as we read your word. And in Jesus' name, amen. 1 John 4, beginning in verse 1, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world, and by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us, and whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this, we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. This is God's word. You can be seated. Look at this first part in verse 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit. It's this thing, don't believe everything you hear about God. There is truth and there is error. There are things that that, that are true, not just because we believe it, but because they are true. And not everything that people say about God is true. So beware, don't believe everything you hear. Now the reality is this is completely unpopular in our culture. What determines truth? Can we say that there is truth in error? Two people with completely opposing ideas can speak, and you're like, well, that's true for you, but that's not true for me. If I write my name in in blue ink, and you're like, that looks nice, it's red ink. Are, Are both statements true? Is it true because I possess it? Because I think it? Does that make it true? What makes something true? Something that is true is outside of ourself. It is an absolute truth in God. We've gotten to a place in our culture where we can no longer challenge people's feelings or thoughts 
because truth is true for them. It's one of the greatest shifts since the the Enlightenment, that we can rewrite reality, changing truth, bending it to our whim and wishes for our own purposes and comfort. Well, if that's true for you, that's true for you. But truth of any kind cannot be changed by our own perception, feelings, wishes, or what makes us comfortable or uncomfortable. Truth is something that is outside of us. My feelings do not change that truth. My goal is to bring my feelings in life into surrender of what is true. Don't believe everything you hear. Do not believe every spirit. That is what this is saying outright. Test the spirit. It says, Test the spirits to see whether they are from God or not. There are things that you will hear that are from God, and there are things that you will hear that are not from God. And we need to move from just skepticism about that, of like, okay, beware, to actually testing them. It assumes that that some statements are true, some are untrue, and that we can test what is said and understand if it's true or not. So how do we do that? But it also goes a step further before we get into the how. To see whether something is from God. For many false prophets have gone into the world. Here's what I want us to understand. And this is the warning that John's giving us. This isn't just general people. This isn't just friends who are are atheist, agnostic, who don't believe in God, who are saying something and you're like, okay, that's untrue. False prophets means these are people who are claiming to be a prophet. Someone who is claiming to have knowledge of relationship with God, speaking with authority that are actually false. These are scholars, pastors, who stand up from a position of authority claiming to speak truth about God who are in in fact preaching error. That is why we need discernment. Don't believe everything you hear. Don't believe everything you see. On my drive here, I passed five churches. Two of those I know for a fact to be preaching false. They would claim to be Christian, and they are the furthest thing from it. Now think of that. That kind of makes you concerned, doesn't it? Like, how do I know? How do I know then? If I go into a place and they claim to be a church, if they claim to be Christian, how do I know if it's true or untrue? How do I test the spirit? Okay, so I need discernment. I need to not believe every spirit. I need to test the spirit, but how? How then do we do this? But this is exactly where John then continues in verse 2. By this, you know the spirit of God. He's like, okay, so here's the answer key. How do you know? He's going to give us the answers. He's going to give us two sides, what's true and what's untrue. That there's a simple question when it comes to who do you say that Jesus is and what do you say that Jesus has done? Depending on how you answer this will determine whether it is true or untrue. This is the test. What do you who Jesus is? What has he done? 
And the truth is this, by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Here's the answer. If someone claims, as Scripture does, from Philippians 2, that Jesus, though Jesus was God, the eternal one and only God, it says in Philippians, he was born as a human being, and when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. Who do you say that Jesus is? Any spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Any spirit that says Jesus Christ is the living God, that he took on the physical form of humanity, that he lived a perfect life, that he died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins, and as according to the scriptures is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4, according to the scriptures, he rose from the dead on the third day. And if you believe in this, you will be saved, and that is the truth. This is what it's saying. That's the answer. That's the answer key. Anything that says something different is an error. It's the spirit of the Antichrist. So let's put it to the test. Let's actually make this real for a moment. You'll see up on the screen a chart. On the left, it says a disciple, someone who was a follower of Jesus, believing what Scripture claims, what Jesus said of himself. But let me ask you this. Let's put this to the test. If someone says that Jesus was a prophet of God, but not really a prophet, but not really God, he was just a prophet of God, born of the Virgin Mary, yes, but he's a man, not God. That he did not die on the cross, but God took him to heaven before he was crucified. Is this true or untrue by John's standard? Untrue. Then you are not Muslim. Do you believe that Jesus was created? He's not the eternal God. He was created. And yes, he is God. He is God, but he's a lesser God. And he was created by the true God. And when he was on earth, he wasn't actually God. He was just merely a man. True or untrue? Untrue. untrue. Then you are not a Jehovah Witness. Do you believe that Jesus was once human before he was God. And because he ascended in his humanity, he became God along with potentially thousands of others who have become God. True or untrue? Untrue. Then you are not a Mormon. Do you believe that Jesus is a way? If it works for you, great. But if you have your own way, you can take that too. So maybe he is God, maybe he isn't. Maybe he is man, maybe he isn't doesn't really matter. You do you. True or untrue? Untrue. Then you're not a religious pluralist. This is what it does. So you can be like, how do I know the difference? How do I know which one's right, which one's wrong? John has given us a test. Test the spirits. Know them. Discern. Here's the answer key. What do they profess about Christ, who he is and what he's done? That's how you distinguish truth from error. In all of this, anything that is not true is of the spirit of the Antichrist. This is what the passage is saying. 
Verse 3, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming, but now it's in the world already. This isn't just some future thing that's going to come and oppose. This is something that has already come. It's already in our midst. And each one of those, and many, many more, come against Christ. That's what it means to be Antichrist. It is trying to diminish who he is and what he has done. The test is simple. We're given the answer key, and it's saying, apply it. Have discernment. Don't believe everything you hear. Just because they have a degree, just because they have a title, just because they put church on a sign out in front does not mean that everything they say is true. It takes discernment. And these aren't harmless differences. Like if we really stop and think about it, these aren't just minor differences. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, not us, not our feelings aren't true, not that I own truth, Jesus is truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. As followers of Christ, this is the claim that we follow and believe. It's not Jesus or whatever way you want. Jesus claimed that he was the only way, that he is truth. And we either surrender to that or we rely on our own arrogance. Truth matters. Where truth originates matters. But some, I fear, could be concerned, fearful, like, man, if, if there's all these lies out there, like if there's all these different things, like, I don't know, like what, what happens if I get tricked? What happens if, if like, I, I don't have all the right answers? I'd, like, it can start to feel overwhelming. Like how many other things are against Christ and how do I make sure I don't get swept up into any of that? I think this was in John's mind as he was writing. Look at what he says in verse 4. Little children, again, the care, not belittling, tender care. You are from God, and, and you have overcome them. You are God. Like, do you believe that Jesus is who he claims to be? That he is the eternal God? He was not created. He has always existed. At the right time, he took on human flesh, being God and man, living among us, dying on the cross, rising from the dead, ascending to heaven. If you believe this, you are from God. But then look at what it says. And you have overcome. See, when I was first writing this, I read and I take notes on my whiteboard like as I'm reading and kind of just thinking through how God's leading for this time here this morning. I wrote down that you are from God and you will overcome. And it stayed that way for several days on my board until I was writing down the verse by hand. And I was like, I made a mistake. I said, you are from God and you will overcome as if it was future tense. As, it, as if it was a victory that was not yet, but at some point in the future. But that's not what it says. 
Did you catch that? It says you are from God and you have overcome. The victory's already won. The battle's already been fought. That kind of changes things, doesn't it? It's a difference from saying like, oh, this is some future thing. It's like, no, we are standing in victory now because the battle was fought in the past. And this is what we talked about last week. He was crucified. He was buried in the grave. And then Christ rose himself from the dead. Where is your victory, O death? O death, where is your sting? It's been defeated. Victory is now. It's today. We have overcome. There is not a present battle like, oh no, I wonder who's going to win. I hope Jesus pulls it out. I hope we pick the right. He's already won. We stand in victory today. There is no fear. There is no concern like, I wonder what's going to happen. We know what happens. That should give us a confidence and a courage to stand and proclaim in the face of adversity, in the, in the face of a world that wants to believe lies, any lie, to stand and proclaim what is true about who Christ is and what he has done because he is victorious and he's already secured that victory. And that's why it says, he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Look, this isn't about us. This isn't about how much knowledge you have, how much theological prowess you have. Like, oh man, do I know enough? Do I have enough education? Do I need to go to Bible college to stand firm? Will I be tricked? This is saying that he who is in you, the spirit of God that indwells you, Because you have placed your faith and trust in Jesus, he is the one who is greater. He is the one who is victorious. And we stand with him. And so if you remember to just ask those questions, who do you say that Jesus is? What has he done? And then ask those questions. Because those two false churches, both of them have come knocking on my door. And this is the first question I ask. And they'll be like, oh, he's God. The only true God? Well, and you're like, false, error. Who do you say that Jesus is and what has he done? And don't just listen to terms like, oh, he's God. Oh, he's the son of God. Does it mean the same thing? That's where you need to follow up But if you remember those two questions, that your confidence is not in yourself, it's in the one who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. And I think that this is such an important message for us to hear, especially today. See, when John wrote, what, what he was addressing in his time was there was this The thought of the world at the time was that everything that's physical, like physical matter, was bad. And what is actually good is things that are spiritual. Let's just sit around and think spiritual things, but anything physical is distracting from the the spiritual, and so we want to push away anything that is physical. And so they said Jesus didn't actually have a physical body because physical was bad. And if he didn't have a physical body, then he didn't physically die and he didn't physically rise. That was all just spiritual. 
And what John is saying for them is, no, that is not true. That is error. Jesus is God. He had a physical body, died a physical death, and rose a physical resurrection. This is what's true. Don't be deceived. But I think it is more important than ever. When I think of with the internet, podcast, YouTube, social media, we have more voices and opinions bombarding our thinking than ever before. We have access to more information than ever before. And entire generations, like I think of this with my kids now and then my grandkids, entire generations have grown up having complete unfettered access to every thought ever published on the internet in their pockets. Instantly. And, and we live in a culture that wants to say, we can't make a judgment. I can't tell you what's right and wrong. You figure that out for yourself. So we live in a culture where we're bombarded with different voices. And then we live in a culture that says, and you can't tell anybody what's right or wrong. You can't say what's true or untrue. Everybody gets to determine that for themselves. Do you see the kind of chaos that brings? This is why this is more timely, more necessary for the church of Jesus Christ than ever. My dad used to always tell me when I was growing up that if you don't take a stand for something, you'll fall for anything. I feel like it was one of those just repeated statements. It just, it's in there. He somehow just has that like engraved on my brain. If you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. It's not just true because I believe it. I believe it because it's true. Truth is Christ. And I'm either going to be surrendered to that truth or reject it. But it will be true regardless of what I believe. Do you see the difference? Truth is not determined by my wishes, by my belief. Does not make something true or untrue. The single greatest question we can ask is, who do you say that Jesus is? And what did he do? We need to test truth. When I think of application. And you may already see this on the screen. Do not believe every spirit. That's the point that he's getting at. Don't just believe everything, regardless of who they are or what they've said. And we're, we're, we're going to see this because that's like even me. How do you determine what's true or untrue? So I, I want to, in the second point... This is something I came across this week. I was kind of scattered. One of my quotes didn't show up in my notes. Um, but there was a book I was looking at this week from uh, Brett McCracken called The Wisdom Pyramid. And I want us to just think through this for a moment. You're going to see it up on the screen. But it's kind of think of the hierarchy of foods. What's building from there? Don't agree with everything on here, but I want to kind of talk through it. The first one. What is at the base is the Bible, the scripture, God's word. 
that he says this, that without God as an absolute standard of truth, this is a quote from Brett McCracken's book, without God as the ultimate standard of truth, all we have are truths as interpreted by individuals to write their own, you do you. It's no wonder we are not as confused as we are. Do away with God and you do away with truth. The scripture needs to be our foundation against which we weigh everything. Because if God is the standard of truth, and and the Scripture says that all Scripture is breathed out by God, it is God's Word, the Bible becomes our standard of all truth. Regardless of what name is on a sign, regardless of what degree hangs on the wall, the ultimate standard that we're going to measure something against is Scripture. That's why it says, like, according to Scripture, Jesus was God. He took on humanity, that he lived, he died, he rose again according to Scriptures. That is our basis. That is our standard. And we measure everything against that, including what I say. Like, we build from there. And you're like, well, okay, what if I'm reading the Scripture and I don't quite understand it? What do I do with that? You'll see that the church is the next level, that the elders are tasked with overseeing and caring for the doctrine of the church. We see this in the text. When it says in verse uh, five, uh, 6, we are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. In verse 5, they speak of the world, therefore Uh, They speak from the world, and the world listens to them, but we are from God. Those who are from God will listen to us. There are different voices in the world. Those who profess Christ have the Spirit of God also. If you don't understand something in Scripture, look to them. Look to the leaders in the church. I can't tell you how many times we've had where someone listens to a podcast, they read an article, they watch a YouTube video. They begin to get sucked down into a lie. And it's like, come and talk to us. Let's talk through this together. And and here's the thing. When someone talks, be careful how they talk. So if you want to know, well, can I trust this person? If people say things like, well, I think this and this, or I heard so-and-so say that, be hesitant. That should just put up a yellow flag. It doesn't automatically mean it's wrong. But if they're like, this is what I think, well, truth isn't just belonging to them, and it's not just who they quote who might be some well-known author or anything else. That doesn't make it true either. You want to look to people who are going to say, the Bible says this. Let's talk about that. Here's what Scripture says. And so it's people who are going to help you take it back down to understand God's Word and apply it. A lot of times when I give advice, and sometimes things are clear, it's like you come to me like, hey, I really want to like kill my neighbor, and I don't know, like, is that okay? And it's like, no, can't do that. Like, that's obvious, right? But there's other times it's a little more nuanced. Like, hey, I have this job offer. I don't know. What should I do? I feel torn. How do you guard the heart? A lot of times I feel like my advice are like the bumper rails at a bowling alley. Do you know what I mean? So you don't throw a gutter ball when you're a kid and it kind of bounces off. I'm like, well, Scripture says this. You need to protect from this side what's the motivation of your heart. And the Scripture says this. 
also. And so let's pray together and discern what God has. But here's kind of the the things you need to be aware of from Scripture. And it kind of helps keep that ball going down the alley, if you will. Sometimes Scripture is going to be like that. But you don't want someone just saying, well, Pastor Steve told me such and such. My life in ministry will be a failure. If all you take from our time together is what Steve said, my words are worthless. My opinions, all of it. The greatest thing I have to give is in God's word. If it helps you understand and know God, what it means to follow him, to understand his word, to know him more, to experience him. And you're like, scripture says this. And maybe by God's grace, he helped use me to bring understanding there. But that the conviction is, the skill is, the the calling is, this is God's word. And I know God more intimately because of his word. And those who were charged with care over my soul through the ministry of the word. This is where the power is. This is my heart. This is my desire. And so you'll see what's next. It says nature and beauty. It's not the first thing we think of, but scripture even makes this clear in in Romans. The, The invisible qualities of God are made evident through scripture. Now, Many have exchanged this for a lie and worship creation rather than the one who created everything. But there is something of just going for a walk outside, getting out of the office and seeing the magnitude of creation. But let us not turn and then worship the tree. This is where it comes back. Even nature we interpret through Scripture to understand who God is as Creator, what it means to understand his power and magnificent, to see the, the, the peaks and valleys of, a, of the mountains. I often envision like the ridges in the fingerprints of God, of his majesty and his magnitude. When we were in France, it was common on Sunday after church to go for a hike. And there's not that many Christians in France, and so so often it was Incredible to see the difference of experience of different people who are both going for a hike, enjoying creation. One, their enjoyment ended with creation itself. But for us and walking with other believers, like we were living like right on the edge of the, the Alps. So you can imagine like it's, it's beautiful. Like you're just like, this is, it's worship. Like there's a difference. One ends in the mountains themselves, the other to the one who made the mountains. That same hike. And then you have internet podcast. They even put social media on there. That's probably the one I don't agree with because I don't like social media. What I want to come back to is that we would be a of the word. That we would be skeptical discerning, don't believe every spirit, test the spirits. And we test the spirits because our heart and our focus is on who Christ is and what he's done. Apply this test just this week on the things you hear. What's true? What's untrue? 
How do we discern it? Who do I trust? Why do I trust them? And are they worthy of my trust? Are they pointing me to God through his word? Or am I just kind of interested in their ideas? Because I find them interesting. We need to be guarded. Because there is truth, even in the midst of a world of lies. So let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your word that, that guards our hearts, that causes us to be cautious in what we hear, how we receive what we hear, Lord. Lord, I pray for those here and, and for those who have grown up in a digital age, who have been constantly bombarded by information. And Lord, that, that are put down for standing for anything, saying one thing is true if it means that somebody else is in error, and Lord, that that being called pride when ultimately we are humbling ourselves before you. So Lord, I pray that you would give us humility first to surrender ourselves to truth as you declare it because of who you are and what you've done. Lord, that you would give us a confidence and a courage to stand upon that truth, unmoved, unwavering. Lord, that you would give us discernment when people claim to be your followers but speak lies. Lord, give us the discernment to know what is from you and what is not. Lord, we cannot do this on our own. In our own knowledge and our own understanding, we need your spirit to help us know what is from you. And Lord, we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.